economy, ability, trust. These are the things that you value, the things that you look for in an investment company. Morwen Proust was founded over a hundred years ago to preserve and protect the same ideals. And now, we're bringing the same dedication to sound investments and financial planning to your computer. Log on anytime, anywhere, to see how we're putting your money to work and enjoy round-the-clock phone service from our trained staff. We know you need to make your money go as far as it can. Let Morwen Proust take you the extra mile. Morwen Proust, wherever you're headed, we're going your way. Welcome to Sir Felton Radcliffe and Dame Elizabeth Abernathy's Provincial Theatre Troupe. And thank you for joining us on this fine evening for our special Christmas treat. First of all, we would like to thank you for joining us on these your holidays. We understand your time is limited and we are most pleased that you've chosen to invest it very wisely in ourselves and our troupe. Now, one of the many stories that gets trotted out every Yuletide is Charles Dickens' perennial favorite, A Christmas Carol. And while this is a true work of British masterpiece fiction, it does uncommonly malign several of the British virtues, such as thrift and finance, that we feel would be better left unmolested. So this is our new version, which we hope is in line with more moral and upstanding traits. And now, A Poor Man's Christmas Carol, written by Brian Wallace. Stave one, Marley's ghost. Marley was dead to begin with. There can be no doubt about that. The register of his burial had been formally entered into the records of the municipal authorities. Scrooge himself had signed it, and Bob Cratchit had been in the office the day that he had. The official notice of death had been given as choking to death on a pound of uncut Colombian cocaine. And indeed, the post-mortem pictures that Bob had seen when he had snuck a glance at the file while delivering a message to Mr. Scrooge suggested that this had been the case. It seemed some people believed that you could never have too much of a good thing. Indeed, Marley was dead as a doornail. Mind, I have no idea what is so dead about doornails. I would have thought coffin nails would have been the better choice, but I'm not Charles Dickens, and you really don't care, so whatever. Anyway, it was a cold day, December the 24th, as Bob Cratchit worked furiously to get ahead of all the college loans he would need to send collection notices out to. He wanted to get ahead so that he might possibly ask his employer, the fine Ebenezer Scrooge, to give him Christmas Day off. However, this was to prove difficult for poor Mr. Cratchit, as we shall see. Nephew Fred enters. He is dressed in khakis and a polo so sensible it likely knows about tax codes. His ruddy face is filled with Christmas cheer. Or perhaps something else, judging by his breath. He stamps the clinging remains of powdery snow off of his shoes and grins broadly at Bob. Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas, Fred. 
How's the missus? Oh, good, good. She's out with friends today. They're throwing pig blood on a mall Santa. They're pretty sure doesn't use foam. <laughs> is Uncle in? Uh, yes, he is. Uh, he's in quite a mood today. Fred waves his hands dismissively. He's always in a mood. Been in one so long, common law considers them married. <laughs> he brushes past Bob into Scrooge's office. Ebenezer Scrooge sits behind his desk. He is a hard hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A grasping, clenching, squeezing, covetous old sit- What? Well, that's in the original. How is that describing a hand job? <sighs> He's an old miser. Better? Nephew. Was that you just now wishing that loathsome cockroach of a man Cratchit a Merry Christmas? It was I, Uncle, and may I say a Merry Christmas to you as well. You may not. Why, if I had my way, every fool that went about with Merry Christmas or Merry Xmas or Happy Hanukkah or Happy Kwanzaa or whatever they're being on about should have a stake of holly shoved through his heart and be buried in his own pudding. A stake of holly, Uncle? Yes, because all you jolly vampires can stop sucking the life out of me every December the 25th, then. Bah! Humbug! Oh, Uncle, you don't mean that. What is a humbug, anyway? <laughs> Whatever it is, it has crawled up your simpering hipster butt and died. Well, Clara seems to like it. Oh, yes, your wife. Hmm. Whatever spawn of Beelzebub inspired you to go and commit the act of marriage? Well... Because I fell in love. Ah, humbug. <laughs> love? The only thing sillier than a Merry Christmas. Well, I wish you would come and meet her. I am here with the express purpose to invite you to Christmas dinner tomorrow. We're having it catered by Chasen's, you know. Are you? And I'm sure that you are only here to invite me to Christmas dinner. Okay, well, that and I was wondering if you could loan me some more money. What about the rest of your college fund? Well, I used that up this last summer to take Clara to Borneo. We had to go. You only live once and all that. Clara needed to go there to learn the ancient mystic art of Kumbotra tea-making from an eastern mystic named Glumburadum. I see. And how much does this Glumburadum charge for this lesson? <laughs> oh, Uncle. Why must everything be about money with you? Can't you see it's the Christmas season? Humbug! Oh, Uncle, don't be so cross. Listen, can I have the money or not? If I don't have the catering deposit into Chasen's by six o'clock, they might get booked elsewhere. Fine, nephew, here. Scrooge pulls out a checkbook, makes out a check, and hands it to Fred. So you will come to Christmas dinner. There will be games and such food. Just because I paid for it, it doesn't mean I want to eat it. This is go the hell away money, so let it work its magical purpose and go the hell away. At just this moment, the door to the shop swings open and two men walk in from the cold, busy London winter. Both are clad in scarves that cannot be anything else but free trade. No shop with a sense of pride would sell them, is what I'm saying. The two exude a sense of self-important helpfulness. Good day, sir. And a very Merry Christmas at that. We are here representing a group of 
businessmen who feel that at this jolly time of the year, it is important to remember those who are in need. We endeavor to see that not a single family will go in want during the holidays. And to that end, we are collecting donations from backbones of industry in order to fund our yearly charity dinner. Oh, for the love of... I am not giving you a damn... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not sure I heard you right. You're raising money. Yes, sir. So that you can throw a party to raise money? He's got it. Got it in one. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a party, though. This gala event is going to be the talk of the year. Live music, dancing, ballrooms, fireworks, canapes. Not your grandma's bridge club. <laughs> no, sirree. Last year, we brought in enough to pay off most of the mortuary fees for the people who starved to death over Christmas. What can we put you down for? Nothing. Ah, an anonymous donation. Well, we will still need your info for our own tax purposes. No, nothing. I am giving you nothing. You see the money you have raised? Subtract that from itself, and you will have the amount I'm going to give you. But, sir... I do not make myself merry at Christmas, nor can I afford to make other people merry. Fred coughs surreptitiously, looks embarrassed, and tries to sidle out of the room. And while I may have to pony up for some idiotic jackasses, I don't see why I should have to do the same for every needy little shit that manages to slither their way through my door. But think of the children, sir. You, surely you cannot leave so many in need. Am I missing something? Uh, did the apocalypse happen while I was in the can or something, Cratchit? Did starving hordes of techno-barbarians tear down the homeless shelters? Killer robots burn down the food banks? No, sir. They're all very much still in operation. Oh, good. For a moment, I thought maybe we'd moved on to making the poor fight each other for their food. Maybe eat each other in the streets. My taxes and contributions to charities that are smart enough to let me write them off pay for those institutions. If they're hungry, they can go there. But sir, many would rather die than go there. And... The two gentlemen look at one another awkwardly. Ah, uh, you, you, um, you get one of these very handsome pens that have Scrooge a... holds up a hand. Are you about to say that they have directions to the door on them? Because that would be really useful information for you to have. The gentlemen look affronted. Is there someone else we could talk to? Your partner, perhaps? If you are going to attempt to talk to my late partner, I'd advise making sure the medium is channeling the right Marley. Shouldn't be too difficult. You're looking for the one that has no volume control and licks his gums a lot. Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. What loss? I've had a year free of hooker disposals and incomprehensible 3 a.m. phone calls. So I guess I can't say he never got me anything for Christmas. In that case, I believe we've wasted enough of this gentleman's time. Good day, sir. Scrooge has his face in his hands and is glaring at them as though he wishes he could literally hate them to death. Oh my god, why are you still talking? 
The gentlemen exit in a huff, and there is a moment of silence except for the quiet sounds of Bob working in the background. Fred exhales after a moment and gestures towards the door. I should get going, too. I've got that reservation to... I'll tell Clara you... Tell her whatever you want, Fred. Tell her that you stole the secret of fire from me. Just tell her far away from here, okay? Fred laughs and begins to exit. (laughs) Oh, Uncle, you're too much. The dinner invitation remains open and... Don't say it. Don't you say it. Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas, Fred. (laughs) And how does one celebrate Christmas on the unemployment line, Mr. Cratchit? Right, sir. Back to work. (laughs) I know you don't like Christmas, Uncle, and while it has never put a penny in my pocket, I believe it has done me good, will do me good, and shall continue to do me good, and I say God bless it. I hope you will make it to dinner. Chasen's is truly amazing at stuffed goose. Humbug. I shall take that as a yes. Fred quickly goes out the door, and there is a long period of work-filled silence. Eventually, Bob gets up and approaches Scrooge's desk. Um, uh, Mr. Scrooge? Yes, Mr. Cratchit? Well, sir, it is almost time to close the shop, and I was wondering if... Well, since, uh, tomorrow being Christmas and all, I'm... I might, uh... Have the day off? Is that where this is going, Mr. Cratchit? Well, yes, sir, if it's convenient. You see, I, I have a family, and I... Bob! Do you know the fat guy from the coffee shop on the corner? Uh, no. Uh, uh no. I, I mean, I mean, oh, I, I've seen him there, though. Yes, Bob, that's good. Uh, you see, his name is Gerald, and he owes me money. Do you know what he's doing tomorrow with his family for Christmas, Bob? No. I do. He's going to be working at that coffee shop, Bob. All those carolers singing around, all those lovely young couples walking hand in hand on a chilly Christmas morn. What will they want, I wonder? Scarves? Coffee, Bob. And what will happen if Gerald is home? Will he be selling coffee? No. That's right, Bob. He will be leaving tons and tons of money lying around not being spent at his shop because he isn't there to sell coffee to those brainless Christmas-loving idiots. That's my money, Bob. Mine. And Gerald is going to be working to make it. Now, what is he going to do with all that money he's raking in? What if he makes lots and lots of money? He will start thinking he's rich, Bob. He will use that money to go out and buy things. Things that don't belong to me. He will spend that money somewhere else tomorrow because almost all the stores are open tomorrow, Bob. Which means that unless I am open tomorrow, that moron Gerald will witlessly spend all of my money. So, Bob, let's start again with this conversation, now that you know all these facts. Go out and come back in, Bob. Go on. Bob turns and leaves and then comes back in. Mr. Scrooge? Yes, Bob. I'm about to close up shop. What time should I come in tomorrow? Bob, you go get her. How about 7 a.m.? That way, if anyone needs to borrow some money to make a last-second gift purchase, they can. Okay, Mr. Scrooge. Will there be holiday... I think you're about to ask about holiday pay, Mr. Cratchit. And I just want to remind you of last year's query of the same nature from our former janitor, Samuel. I meant, uh... Merry Christmas and have a good night, sir. 
Bah, humbug, Mr. Cratchit. Bah, and a hearty humbug to you. Bob exits the room. Scrooge stands. Good night, Mr. Cratchit. See you in the morning. Bright and early. Good night, Mr. Scrooge. Bob continues to close up shop. Scrooge exits into the falling Christmas Eve snow. There is a caroler singing on the corner. Penny for the song, Governor? Get a job, you hippie. There is a young boy on a crutch, standing on the corner near the caroler, watching with wide-eyed awe at Mr. Scrooge. And what are you looking at, boy? My father works for you, sir. I'm Tim Cratchit, but everyone round here calls me Tiny Tim. Oh, you're part of that family he's always on about, are you? I am, sir. Incidentally, would you like to buy a pound of pure, uncut hashish directly from Pompeii, sir? What? Some hash, some opium, heroin, the devil's dust, sir. I've got it all here in me crutch, sir. For the love of God, boy, are you selling me opiates? Oh, you are a sharp one, you is, gov. How about it? I ain't got all night to spend here. Me dad's about done with the office and I gots to get home after this. How am I supposed to show me own sweet mother some empty pockets? I ain't made a sale all day. What with this arsehole standing here singing, it's really cutting to me customer base. That and the bloody high street boys. Slinging just a few street up from me. Don't want them to find out I'm down here. Have to fight for me corner again. Come on, sir. Buy me last bag of opium. I'll make sugar plums dance in your head, it will. Am I to believe that while your father works for me, you stand here selling this junk and fighting rival gangs? Oh, yes, sir. How do you think I got this bum leg? Took one while I was carving up me turf down here. Somebody's got to make enough money so me family can eat. So, how about it? I'll give you a friendly price since me dad works for you. Listen, you wretch. I pay your father good money. Maybe he should try living within his means more and then you wouldn't have to be out here. Oh, certainly, sir. We'll look into that. Now, are you buying a bag or not? Because if you ain't, then Merry Christmas and piss off your ripe old geezer. Bah, humbug to you, you errant hooligan. Scrooge walks on as Tiny Tim turns to the caroler. Start singing again. When me dad comes out, I want to look like I've been standing here all day thinking of Christmas and joy. Tight-fisted old geezer needs a sprig of all he shoved up his father! Bob Cratchit approaches. Tim, my boy, you came down to see me on Christmas Eve? I sure did, father. I've been standing here listening to this lovely caroler for the past hour. Oh, that's so lovely. Here, have a penny. He hands a penny to the caroler who looks sideways at Tiny Tim in fear. Tim gives an imperceptible nod. Thank you, sir. God bless you and Merry Christmas. You as well. What a nice young man. Come on, Tim. Would you like to ride my shoulders home? Would I, father? Of course! Bob picks Tim up and they walk down the street singing a Christmas carol. The caroler watches them go. The Cratchit house is alight with noise and cheer. Mrs. Cratchit is preparing dinner for her two daughters, Belinda and Matilda while her son Peter sets the table. Girls, I want those cucumber slices nice and thin. We don't want to have chunky cucumber in our quinoa now, do we? No, Mother. And Peter, what have I said about using knives at the table? It's both phallic and barbaric. Sorry, Mother. Father's late again, Mummy. You don't think something's happened to him, do you? My dear, you really must stop worrying your little head so much. I'm sure they just went down the sled hill to watch the other boys at play on the way back home from service. 
There is the muffled sound of a pair of voices singing, and Bob and Tim enter. Bob lets Tim down from his shoulder and gives his hair an affectionate tousle. Tim sees the table being set and hobbles over. Oh, Evans, look at all the food! Cranberries and pudding and, and quinoa and tofu and m more quinoa. Mrs. Cratchit embraces her husband and the two stand to one side in the kitchen. How oh, was Tiny Tim in church today? As good as gold and better. You should have seen him, Nora. He thought that today people might like to remember who made lame men walk and blind beggars see. Everyone seemed really happy after talking with him. Oh, bless him. And what of tomorrow? Did Mr. Scrooge give you the day off? Not as such, no. I, I tried to get him to see reason, but he just said the same old things and said I had to come in. Why, that pompous, lack-witted, miserable old skinflint! He doesn't make enough every day the rest of the year that he has to be open on Christmas and tear you away from your family? I know, darling, I know, but what am I supposed to do? Darling, did you go to Whole Foods again? Bob, I am not shopping at those merchants of death. The HMOs and chemicals at those other stores are just... Well, Bob, do you want to kill the children? No, dear, I don't. It's just that they charge so much compared to... Compared to killing the children, Bob. Here, I'll get the rat poison out and we can just serve that for dinner tonight. At least it will be over much quicker. But, but dear, it's Christmas and money, it's tight. It wasn't so tight that you couldn't afford to go out to that craft brewery and spend 30 pence on two pints of beer. Seriously, Bob? I'm sorry, dear, you're right. Our children's health is important. Does the trash need to go out? Yes, darling, it does. Make sure to separate the recyclables into their appropriate bins. Of course, dear. Bob exits the house and goes around into the alleyway. He begins sorting the trash. There is the flicker of movement down the alley and... Bob turns. There is no one there. He returns to his recycling. Who's there? There is the sound of chains being dragged, and out from the gloom and snow at the end of the alley, a fearful apparition comes lurching towards Bob. It is dressed in a fine suit, and its hair is slicked back. Its human form is encircled in chains that rattle, and lock boxes drag behind it. Bob takes a few steps back and stares in horror as the apparition approaches him. There is a handkerchief tied around the ghost's mouth. It slowly unties it. As soon as it does, its jaw drops grotesquely to its chest. What do you want, foul spectre? The stuff. Do you have it? Have it? What? What? You know, know the stuff. The stuff. The the. Don't make Don't me come make out, me out and come say, out say it, man. man. Please, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Do I know you? The specter rolls its eyes and gives an exasperated sigh. It slaps its jaw up. There is a crack and suddenly Bob can see. Mr. Marley, is that you? Bob. Bobby. Bobberino. Bobo Baggins. Where's my stuff, kid? Where? I'm dying here, man. I thought you were dead, Mr. Marley. What? Yeah, yeah, I am. Look, your kid was supposed to meet me out here an hour ago with my cocaine. Where is he? 
What are you talking about? Are, are you a ghost? Can ghosts do cocaine? Bobby! Honey, WTF, son. Catch up already. Yes, I am Jacob Marley, your former boss. I am dead. I am a ghost. And I really need my cocaine. Where the hell is it? We don't sell cocaine here. Peter is a good boy. No, 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 no. Not Peter, the little one with the crutch and the voice like a choir boy who just lost his nutsack. Tim? I guess. Do you think I'm on a first name basis with the people I buy drugs from? The less I know, the better. He used to come by the office and sell me this really kick-ass stuff. Sir, you are mistaken. Tim can barely walk, surely- I don't care! It's Christmas Eve, man! I need blow and hookers. What the hell? I died a year ago. Do you know what ghost hookers are like? Awful. That's what. I could go into the details if you want, but- Please don't. Fine. Then where is the blow? I have been wandering this earth all year in search of some. Remember when I'd go out to Hong Kong for weeks on end and Scrooge thought I was making business contacts? Blow. Loads of it. Hell, I even brought some of it back with me and gave it to your kid to sell. Now, where is he? You are mistaken. Tim would never sell. God, Bob, you killjoy. Look, you always were the worst, most moral employee. Remember when I told you to backdate that kid's college loans that he'd be stuck under the higher interest rate? You remember that? I had to threaten to fire your ass. At that time that Scrooge and I sold the worthless mortgages to those schmucks who didn't know their ass from a dollar, you whined about, but Mr. Marnie, it's irresponsible to try and control the market. Can you please stop even using condoms in me trash can? I had to throw them somewhere, Bob. I'm sorry you're having a bad afterlife, Mr. Marley, but it is your own doing. Bob, I was rich. This is an injustice. I used to spend Christmas Eve making coke angels in a mountain of cocaine and making hookers dress up like puppets and fight each other. This? This is not how capitalism works. You know what? I'm gonna get the ghosts to haunt you. Aren't you already haunting me? No, Bob, I am not. I just want what's mine. And you and your coke thief of a kid are denying me. So, you get haunted. I'm sending three ghosts to you tonight to let you in on the true meaning of Christmas, asshole. Yeah, expect the first ghost when the bell tolls one. Couldn't you send them in the daytime? I'm usually asleep at one. Business never sleeps, douchebag! Booyah! Marley, out! The ghost starts dragging the boxes behind him and heading down the alley. You, you can't even do coke, sir. Your, your nose technically doesn't even exist. My nose... Shut up, Cratchit. Don't you think I know that? I just want to pretend. God, I miss it so much, and this damn snow is not helping at all. Honestly, I, I see what you mean. I don't need any ghosts. Thanks very much. Oh, they're coming, Bobby baby. And you are gonna find out the true meaning of Christmas. And then you can give me my... Are you pissing on me? Screw you, cat. Furry little jerk. I used to be a titan of industry. Come back here. Oh my God, there's homeless people over here. Oh, they smell awful. Or at least they look like they smell awful. Oh, God, one of them is... Oh, gross. The sound of Jacob Marley fades as Bob puts the lid back on the trash can and goes inside. A wise man once said, the ladder of success is best climbed by stepping on the rungs of opportunity. 
Here at Morwen Proust, we believe that everyone, think, everything is an opportunity. Our clients' portfolios are as varied as our customer base. Petroleum, fashion, engineering, small arms, and even puppies. What will your path to success be with us? Call now to begin your first steps to a new life. Morwen Proust. We're not sure where you're going, but we'll meet you there. Stave 2. The Ghosts The Cratchits have a quiet but merry Christmas Eve meal, save for one who had coke for dinner. After an evening of sing-songs by the fire and promises of morning presents, the Cratchits retire to their beds. Warm in bed that night, Bob hears the faint tolling of the clock tower striking one. But, since he has work in the morning, he ignores it and goes back to sleep. Hey, old sport, wake up! It's not time yet, honey. The, the alarm didn't go off. Of course it did, my boy. The alarm has been sounding your whole life. I'm here to help you hear it. Bob finally struggles out of his sleep-induced stupor and sees before him a man dressed in a yellow cream suit and a pork pie hat is smiling at him like the Cheshire Cat. If the Cheshire Cat was into speakeasies and cheap illegal booze. Why are you in my house at one in the morning? I'm the spirit whose coming was foretold to you, old sport. My name's Hats O'Bannon, the ghost of Christmas past. I have work in the morning, Hats. Go away. What? What? Pretty can't do that, old chum. I promised my palaroo, Jacob Marley, I would educate you about Christmas's past and why you're a heel for not celebrating the way you should, with lots of fine spending done for all the good girls and boys. And maybe just a little for the bad girls. Hey, Bob, get what I mean? <laughs> Hats looks at Bob like he's just dropped a heavy truth. I have work in the morning. Sure you do, I say, sure you do, and I love the enthusiasm. Straight up jive, baby, but Bob, you need to learn the true meaning of Christmas, so come on, what do you say? I say again, I have to be at work in five hours, so no thanks, Hats, was it? But I think I'm good. Go haunt some other guy. I didn't want to have to do this, old sport, but I'm going to have to use my rich people power. I'll give you $1,000 to get out of bed right now. What? Bob is now awake and out of bed. I lied. Here's two bits. Let's go. Hats grabs Bob by the arm, and they both float up and through the ceiling. They rocket across the rooftops of London, and as they do, the years roll back. Finally, the spirit lands with Bob outside of a place called Fezziwig's Shopping Emporium. What the hell, man? You had to see this. It concerns your welfare. My welfare check? No, Bob. Your well-being. Oh, right. Okay. W what am I looking at? Let's hurry this up. I, I can still get some sleep in before work. This is where your current employer, Mr. Scrooge, worked in the past. See there? Hats points at young Scrooge, who is working as an accountant in the offices of the store. And here's Mr. Fezziwig, his old employer. Mr. Fezziwig is a fine old Victorian gentleman. He looks cheery and happy, and like your grandpa if he wasn't quite as racist. Ho ho, my lads! Look, the lamplighters are about their work! Tis time to close up shop and begin our Christmas party! A young clerk runs up to Fezziwig. I say, Mr. Fezziwig, I was wondering if I could have the next two weeks off. Why, certainly, my boy. What for? Well, I just bought an incredible game of dominoes, and I thought I would like to take some time to really master the game. Fezziwig thinks for a moment. Why, of course, my lad. Take an extra week off as well. Mastering a skill such as that requires time. Thank you, Mr. Fezziwig. Oh, incidentally, I didn't get any of these invoices processed this morning. There was a very humorous article in the paper about what kind of Dickensian character are you, and I spent quite a long time filling it out. 
No problem. I'll just get our apt and capable young Mr. Scrooge to take care of it. Scrooge looks up from his work and smiles sadly. Now, now, young Mr. Scrooge, what are you doing for Christmas this year? I am working here. Your invoices are backed up for three months, and your savings account is rapidly running dry ever since you gave that raise to Mr. Simmons for drawing a particularly excellent picture of a banana giving the thumbs up to a jar of marmalade. If we don't get some revenue soon, you will be bankrupt. Ah, oh, young Mr. Scrooge, you have much to learn. How can you talk of money at a time like this? It's Christmas. Yes, and the Christmas party. I've been meaning to speak with you. Where am I to find the money to pay for 40 jugglers, a band of merry minstrels, and some god-awful monstrosity that bills itself as Bonzo the Christmas Clown and his erotic dancing whores? Fezziwig sighs. <sighs> oh, young Master Scrooge. The 40 jugglers are unpaid interns. The band is being paid in, I quote, a chance for exposure to a new audience. And the clown is my cousin, so just use all the entertainment budget we have to pay him whatever he wants. Very well, sir. But if I do that, there will be no money to pay the employees after February. Quite right! By mid-March, I shall have sold what's left of it and retired to the Cayman Islands. Excellent tax shelter there. What about my- Your job? Who gives a fig, right? Better get down there and enjoy the party. I think Bonzo is beginning his warm-up act. <laughs> a second young clerk runs up. I say, Mr. Fezziwig, I think I have a slight chill. I shall need a month to recover. You poor, poor man. Take it, take it all, take all of it. His booming laugh fades as the world around them does as well, and soon they find themselves back in the Cratchit's bedroom. My god, that Mr. Fezziwig was a monster. Poor Mr. Scrooge. What? No, Bob. The word is master, not monster. He was a master businessman. He realized that he could have it all and took it. That's power. That's manifest destiny. It creates jobs for people like you, Bob. But they all lost their jobs. Yes, but they had jobs, right? He created those jobs, and they made money. Money that wouldn't be in the economy without brilliant minds like Fezziwig. Scrooge learned from him, did you? If I say yes, can I go back to bed? Sure. Then yes. Swell, old sport. Glad we had this talk. I'm off to go find a speakeasy. Hats O'Bannon vanishes in a shower of buffalo nickels. Bob gets back in bed, pulls the sheet up, and goes back to sleep. About 45 minutes later, there is a faint glimmer of light that comes from under the door of the Cratchit's bedroom. There is faint noise of a loud party. Bob opens one eye and sees the glimmering lights. He shuts his He shuts his eye and rolls over, attempting to ignore it. A voice calls from the other side of the door. Come in, come in, and know me better, man. The voice echoes with a sense of haunting mystery. Come in, come in, and know me better, man. The sound from under the door grows in volume until Bob throws back his sheets, stomps over, and flings the door open. He is hit with a wall of sound and lights. Disco balls burn into his retinas. Lasers flash across the poorly decorated living room of the Cratchit family. Sprawled all over the kitchen and living room are ghosts of hot young people raving like there is no tomorrow. And since they're ghosts, technically there isn't. 
It's like a club that opened inside a club and then was doused in glitter and laser lights and douchebags in v-neck shirts and girls in miniskirts that think the word mini is Latin for nothing. At the center of the whole wild party is the ghost of Jacob Marley doing cocaine with a group of ghostly Japanese businessmen on Bob's couch. The voice that Bob heard earlier calling, Come in, come in and know me better, man, is actually a sample that the teenage Dutch DJ is playing over the top of some admittedly sick throbbing beats. What the hell is going on here? Bobby, what are you doing here, bro? Are you here to do some wines? Let him in here, guys. He's poor. He's probably never done coke. It'll be funny to watch him trip. Why are you in my living room at 2 in the morning? Get out. I have work in a few hours. Oh. My God! Then you need some coke, Broby Bratchett! Get in here! Bob attempts to stop the ghost of the Dutch DJ, but his hands pass right through the turntable. Turn this music off! My family is trying to sleep! No worries, Bro Barino! We're ghosts! Only you can hear us! Bob goes over to the couch where Marley is. As he does, he looks behind the couch and recoils in horror. What the? Mr. Marley, why is there a dead body behind my couch? Right? <laughs> Crazy story. These guys... He gestures to the ghostly Japanese businessmen. We're doing some serious partying earlier tonight with me. We had just done a ton of quaaludes and decided to take their ghost limo for a spin. We get lost in your shitty neighborhood. I can't even remember why. I think we're trolling for trim. Then, just outside here, wham! We hit this guy. Long story short, he's the ghost of Christmas present, I think. Anyway, we hit him so hard he died again! Can you believe that shit, bro? You killed the second ghost? I know! Crazy! Anyway, we wandered in here and just started partying, and then all this happened. Sorry, bro. When the clock strikes three, we'll move this business over somewhere else. But until then, leave it up here with us! Come on! So, what was the second ghost supposed to teach me? Hell, if I know, probably something pretty sweet. But don't worry, dude, the next ghost comes at three. And he is a serious bit of the business, bro. This is ridiculous. I'm going back to bed. I have work in the morning. So what? Do you think I cared when I was alive whether I had work in the morning? Never. Did you ever see me late to work? You were always passed out in your own vomit in the reception area every morning. But I wasn't late. There's your ghost of Christmas present, Bobolob. Live for today, the now. There is no tomorrow. Holy crack snorting angels, guys. I am the ghost of Christmas present. It's really me. I'm going back to bed. Bob turns and heads back to the bedroom. Oh man, did you guys see that? I'm a ghost of Christmas present. Booyah. High five me, Daisuke-san, you coke-loving Japanese financial wizard. Oh damn. I'm the ghost of Christmas present, and who did we hit with the car? Santa? Did, did you just say Santa Dice Kassan? In his bedroom, Bob puts in a pair of earplugs and shuts off the light. The sounds fade from under the door as he finally drifts back to sleep. The loud clang of the clock striking three chimes awakens Bob. He sits bolt upright. Next to his bed is a man in a cleanly pressed white button-up shirt. His tie is a dark shade of crimson that looks like a pool of dried blood. He wears black suspenders that hold up his ashen gray pleated suit pants. The sleeves on his shirt are rolled up to the elbow. His hair is slicked down straight back, and his piercing eyes stare directly at Bob from a pair of ultra-thinly framed glasses. Bob turns slowly until he is face to face with the man.
Hello, Bob. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me by my drug addict former employer? I am, Bob. And unlike that pathetic coke weasel, I'm here to truly prepare you for the real meaning of Christmas. I must say, spirit, that out of all the ghosts, I fear you most. You should, Bob. You should. I am prepared to follow you and learn. The night is waning fast and I have work in the morning, so lead on, spirit. The specter beckons Bob to follow and turns towards the door. Bob follows meekly in his wake. As they open the door and pass through it, the Cratchit house passes away and the world streams past Bob as if being stretched. There is a sharp jolt and the world reforms itself into a dark alley in London. There is a garbage man and a hotel maid standing near some trash bins, smoking cigarettes and talking. The spirit stops near them. Well, I only know he's in jail, that's all. Such a shame. He was one of the top employers in the city. It's more the shame on the one that ratted him out. So he kept a few hundred million in a Swiss bank account so he didn't have to be taxed more. Who cares? No skin off my nose. What he gave me was a job. Easiest one I ever had to. Turning off people's electricity when they couldn't pay. I was bringing freeloaders to justice, I was. A good service, too. I worked in his call center resolving customer issues and upselling products. There were so many extra services to inform people about. They needed to know. Now, who's to tell them about all the extras they could have added to their pre-existing service? No one, that's who. I curse his name, that rat bastard. So what if he managed to block legislation in the parliament that would have benefited the general public but would have caused his operating costs to rise? How does that hurt anyone? What would I do with the living wage, I ask you? If I didn't have the four other jobs already, I would have had nothing when he went out of business and got sent to jail for fixing the market share prices on essential services, which is something he had every right to. Sound business choices, that was. Crime, the only crime he ever had, was giving a job to that ungrateful booty of a clerk he had. The world stretches around Bob and the ghost, and again they are transported. But this time it is to a small apartment in a vast apartment complex. The ghost stops at the door of the tiny walk-up apartment, and he and Bob pass through the door. Inside sit Bob and Mrs. Cratchit. They each have a cup of coffee in front of them. They both sit with arms crossed. There is a packed suitcase on Mrs. Cratchit's side of the table. Well, Bob, I hope this is the life you dreamed of. Are you happy now? No. As you damn well shouldn't be. Ever since you lost your job, it's been all downhill since then. You just had to be a righteous crusader, didn't you? I thought I was doing the right thing, dear. Don't call me that. I can't even show my face down at the farmer's market now. They know I have to shop at a brand name grocery store and feed the children I have left with the cheap poison from their shelves. I'm sorry. You should be. Well, this is goodbye, Bob. Belinda is already at my mother's. I have her locked in her room so she doesn't run back out and start street walking again. I tried to tell her we don't have to do that anymore, but she's in love with a pimp now. She wants to marry him, Bob. Our daughter wants to become Mrs. Sweetback Jive Johnson III. Let that sink in. I don't know what to say. I'm sorry, There is nothing to say, Bob. Not after this. She throws a newspaper down on the table. The headline reads, Cripple Drug Kingpin Gunned Down in Gangland Turf Battle. My poor boy. Shut up, Bob. 
He's been a monster ever since he had his own brother framed for the murder of that caroler. Do you get up to visit Peter often? He's reading Dostoevsky now. That can't be a good sign. I should have never tried to bring down Ebenezer Scrooge. No, Bob, you shouldn't have. You ruined our lives the day you did. Goodbye. She gets up and grabs her suitcase and heads towards the door. As she approaches, the world again stretches and fades around them until they are back in the Cratchit's bedroom. Bob is shell-shocked. He stands silent for a moment. Is, is that really my future? Unless things change, I see an empty office complex with a sign bearing the name Scrooge Industries LLC with its neon burned out and its lettering beginning to fade. What can I do? This can't be. I, I can change. Bob, the answer's within you. Your heart, Bob. It's so full of caring and empathy. In each of those things is written the doom of businessmen. Bob, you spend your day crunching those numbers and entering those spreadsheets, but you have to look closer. If you closed on Christmas Day, you won't make more than you did last year. You'll make the same amount. And what does that say to the investors, Bob? It says you want them to be poor. You don't care about them. I care now. I see now. I will change. It's good to hear that, Bob. You need to start coming in on Saturdays and Sundays. Holidays are simply extra money waiting around, Bob. Week-long vacations are for the weak, not the strong. You work for a job creator. It's a sacrosanct trust, Bob. You have to take it seriously. I will. I will. I swear it. Good, Bob. I think you finally get the true meaning of the season. I do. Without money, there can be no Christmas. There would be no Santa if there wasn't any money. And without job creators, there can be no money. That's great, Bob. I'm glad we had this talk. Now, get back to work, eh, Bob? The world stretches once more and the ghost vanishes. Die alone and poor? Of course you don't. But unless you're willing to put your hat in the ring, how can you expect to walk away with the prize money? Morwen Proust is a company that understands how overwhelming the world of finance can be. And we put that understanding to work for you. Every dollar you invest with us is a hundred waiting in your retirement account. So what are you waiting for? cold breath of the paper on your neck? Give us your money already. Morwen Proust, we don't care where you're going, only that we're the ones that take you for the ride. Stave 3, Redeeming Value. Bob finds himself upright in bed. Daylight streams through his window. Oh, God, it's morning. Wait, really, Spirit? You had to skip those last three hours of sleep I could have had. No, 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 no. I don't need those hours. Sleep is for losers. Bob bolts out of bed and starts getting dressed. Mrs. Cratchit awakens. Off to work, honey? Yes, yes, I am, darling. I can't wait. 
I won't be home till late tonight. I have some extra processing to do on a Chinese buyout of a state-run orphanage in Wisconsin. They're going to turn it into an industrial park for penny stock trading firms. Isn't that the most wonderful thing you've ever heard of? What's gotten into you? The spirits have. They did their work in one night. You've been drinking all night? Even if I had, I'd still be ready for work. Oh, God bless you, Jacob Marley. Bob kisses his wife and tears out the door. Tiny Tim is at the kitchen table, pouring a condom filled with cocaine into some test tubes. Oh, uh, hello, Father. I was just transferring the sugar from these storage devices into these storage devices. It's for school. Oh, wonderful, Tim. Wonderful. Good luck and all. I'm off to the office all day. Tell your brother and sister I said Merry Christmas. Oh, wait, Father. I'll come with you. I've got an errand to run downtown. Very well, then. Come on. Can't be late for work. Tim and Bob burst forth onto the street singing and head off to work. Mr. Scrooge is sitting in his office when Bob and Tiny Tim burst into the room. What the hell? Oh, Mr. Scrooge, how are you this fine morning? Well, I hope. You're five minutes late, Cratchit. I am so sorry, sir. I had to be careful walking on the ice because I was carrying my crippled son, but it was all my fault. Tim, you're going to have to learn to walk, young man. Yes, father. I understand you'll have to probably take away three vacation days because I was late, sir, but take them. Take them all. <laughs> I say, Cratchit, are you ill? No, sir. And if I was, you couldn't make me go home. Well, this is a much improved attitude from yesterday. Are you sure you feel all right, though? Never better. In fact, Mr. Scrooge, I was just thinking. You know the college loans that are just sitting in the records room piling up dust because they're all non-payments on them? Well, I hear that Parliament is buying them so that they can get, get a better interest rate. What if we sold all these terrible, awful six-figure loans with fixed interest rates that we gave to teenagers? Then we could finally get them into the black in the books and it can be the taxpayer's problem! Cratchit, I, I think I want to be inside you. Thank you, sir. And you know the regulation commission you've been having problems with? They're looking for an accounting expert to be the new head of it. What if you nominate me? Didn't you give a huge campaign contribution to our local legislator? If you nominate me, I could just do whatever you say. Stop, Cratchit. You're getting me hard in front of a child. We'll do it. We'll do it all. Uh, of course, you realize I can't pay you more for this. That would be fiscally irresponsible of me. Oh, sir, you do enough for us already. Thank you. Thank you a thousand times. Thank you. And so it was that Bob Cratchit became an assistant job creator, helping Mr. Scrooge to double and triple the profits of the company. And when the board of trustees of the company saw this, they fired Scrooge and hired Bob to be the new CEO. He became as ruthlessly efficient, as fiscally irresponsible a businessman as the good old city ever knew. His wife threw so many gala fundraisers that most of London's elite became vegan because she only served meals made entirely from organic farms. His children all went on to great careers in law, politics, and celebrity drug dealing. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, as he was about to sell a brick of cocaine to the catering service at the MTV Movie Awards... God bless it! Every gram! The End This has been a Dry Run production.